0: Welcome to the Canine Classroom, a podcast for dog training professionals and dog enthusiasts, where we discuss training, behavior, and everything in between. We're two friends and dog trainers that share a passion for dogs. We're constantly learning, exploring, and questioning each other's ideas, as well as our own, so we can become better at what we do. We're here to provide helpful advice, have open conversations, ask questions, get answers, as well as hear from colleagues and experts in the industry, regardless of method and training style. So take a seat and get your notepad out because class is in session. Hey, everyone welcome back to canine classroom i'm anthony de marinas i'm here at vinnie viola and today our guest is kamal fernandez hello
1: hello 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 it's a good day to do podcasts because we've got a, an impending storm so i've been doing podcasts all day so, oh, nice. so this is good timing i have to say <laughs> don't have to be out in the rain so good time good excuse
0: Hey, is that, I, I have a question since you're saying that, do you, the
1: area that you do most of your videos, is that your yard or what is
0: that? Is oh Yeah, that- uh,
1: my my yard, which is AstroTurfed yeah. and my living room. So, um, you know, houses yeah. in the UK are considerably smaller mm-hmm. than the US, but um, I did have lessons today. But as I said, we've got an impending storm. Yeah. So it's yeah. all got vetoed. So I was like, ah, podcast day. Good. Excellent.
0: <laughs> well, let everyone know a little bit about yourself. Tell us about yourself a little bit.
1: Excellent. So, yeah, um, my name is Kamal Fernandez. Uh, I consider myself a dog sports coach and uh, behavior specialist, specifically reactivity, reactive behavior, and dogs. Uh, I've been doing this, I've been dog training for about 33 years. um, And I have been fortunate to have a little bit of success in some dog sports. Uh, I've traveled the world teaching uh and that's um how uh, I, i've been to the states several times uh and yeah i'm I'm very lucky to be able to follow my passion as my vocation which i think is a blessing so that's me in a nutshell basically
0: what are the um i know you're you're big in obedience and competition obedience is that like your main thing did you start out that way
1: yeah so uh i think like most people uh how i got into dog training was first and foremost i was very passionate about dogs um I, i'm not from a family or culture that have dogs so but i was always uh obsessed with them and um i eventually wore my parents down which i think most kids do eventually um and i made them succumb to getting the dog and i took the dog to training classes um, you know, as we did though back then, uh wandering around the hall aimlessly for about 45 minutes and then we went home. Um, and then um I, but I fell in love with it and I got absolutely hooked on training dogs because I stayed back a couple of times and watched the more advanced dogs uh who happened to be doing obedience. So you know, heel work where they walk by the side and um what you guys would call signals, so distance control where the dog was at a distance, and I thought it was a magic that this person could um say sit, down or down and their dog would respond from one end of a hall to another. Mm. So as a a kid, I was absolutely enamored by it. And um, I just got more and more and more into the um, idea of training dogs for various things. And in my career, I've done several different dog sports um, and I've coached people uh, in different dog sports. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting ride.
0: And how many dogs do you have now?
1: I have twelve, but who's counting? Oh wait a minute! (laughs) Vinny's face is like, "What the actual?" (laughs) Those of you that are listening on a podcast platform, Vinny's face looks shocked. And is everything
2: all right? Do you need us?
1: (laughs) I'm a hoarder. They're all little boxes. Are they really not. Think three times. Wait (laughs) a
0: minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. So, and you have? Do you have? How many
1: kids do you have? I only have one that I know
0: of. One that you know of. So you have one, you have
1: one. Uh, This is a disclaimer. Nobody contact me. I do not. I only have one child. I have twelve dogs, but a lot of, only one child. <laughs> so you have one kid and twelve dogs. 12 dogs. Yeah, How... I like that ratio. I like that those the statistics though. How do you one have twelve dogs? How do you have the time? <laughs> Uh, Because I'm quite quite an energetic person. So you would much rather me have 12 dogs than have one dog and one child because I would be a very, very irritating person. So I have a lot of energy. I'm I'm a sort of a get up early and go to bed late. So I'm good with my time in that sense.
0: I knew you had a lot of mm. dogs. I didn't realize you had twelve. I figured yeah. maybe like five or six for some reason. Oh no, that's the that's the that, five yeah, this, that's on the that's drinking. amateur
1: amateur. So that's that with one finger. <laughs> amateur, well, amateur, five dogs. Per.
2: Now the <laughs> astroturf lawn makes complete
0: makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I hate gardening. That's the other bit. Of it. I hate gardening, so it's a win-win.
0: <laughs> so wait, let me let's start there then. So, um. Uh, let, let's talk about multi dog households then, since since yeah, you have, have a very multi dog, you have a little bit of experience in that. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's touch on that. So, um, for like for dog trainers going into homes, um, what are like what do you think are the most important things to teach a family that maybe they've obtained obtained their second or third dog or yeah. In some cases, especially uh, here in the states, there are, are a lot of rescues who may adopt out like two dogs together because they oh, wow. think dogs are a bonded pair. Okay. Um, whether 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 that's true or not, that's yeah, a whole yeah, other yeah, discussion. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. But, uh, but like what what are your What do you feel is like the most important thing or things that trainers should be maybe working on or teaching or going over? Yeah. So,
1: in terms of multi dog households, the biggest thing I would say is consistency. Um, in terms of what you ask of your dog so you know being I have 12 dogs that's a lot of dogs and that takes a level of management it takes a level of training and it takes a level of understanding and merging personalities because they don't all organically get on and love each other there's conflicting personalities there's different uh, uh, breeds there's different um, genders obviously uh, there's um, castrated dogs spayed females. So I've got the the whole spectrum of dogs. And that does take a level of management. Um, but also um I do work really hard at getting my dogs to coexist together without any conflict. My dogs are all living, they all live together. Um they all, all exercise together. I don't separate them. Um I've got a puppy so um I would obviously her she would be separated at times of the day, but they largely live together. Um so it means that i have to really work at them all coexisting so when i bring a new puppy into my home i always work on the premise that my other dogs aren't going to like the puppy so i'm very cautious about how i integrate that new dog into my home so i i think that often what people do when they bring a new dog into their home is they want the dog to fit into the lifestyle that they already have as opposed to Assessing what type of dog they have and then molding that dog to be what they want it to be. Um, And, you know, it doesn't work that you get a dog from a shelter or a breed or wherever and it doesn't just slot in and fit like it's not like an iPhone. You can plug it in and start using it. You need to cultivate the dog coexisting. So I work really, really hard at that. Um, and as I say, c- the big things are consistency and not making a sweeping assumption that your dogs are naturally going to get on. You have to work at it um, really, really hard. So, uh, which I do, and I'm very proactive in how I do that. Um, and um, I'm, I'm I'm also very black and white with my dogs. I'm obviously, I'm a reinforcement-based dog trainer, but that doesn't mean that my dogs um, are unruly or misbehave, whatever that, however you interpret that. But my dogs all come back when they're called, they'll all collectively respond if about in a walk. You know, I have cues that are generic that means everybody has to listen. And I train those as much as I would train any sports skill.
0: Do you find that you have specific things that are like foundational or most important to you as soon as a dog comes into the home?
1: Yeah, so obviously the first thing is to integrate them with my other dogs. Then I want to get them into my lifestyle, my routine. So my dogs um, have to have a recall. They have to have focus and engagement and basic control, um, sit and down. That's the the most basic entity. Um, and then I um, I obviously crate train them. So that means they can travel and because I have, my, I have a, obviously a large vehicle. Um, so that means and it makes my life easier to live with. So, for example, the puppy is intermittently crate if I have dogs, you know, in and out or she's having rest, etc. So that's really important. Um, and then it's really about having like a big thing that I do with my dogs is uh, uh, and I, I, it's a bit how I was brought up as a kid. Like we had a thing where my mum always would make us eat dinner together. Everybody had to have dinner together. And no matter what you were doing, everybody would have to eat at the table. Um, And, you know, we had those sort of simple rules as you did, like you couldn't leave the table until everybody's finished. So I not the same extreme, but I definitely have where my dogs all have to eat in the same space. So, um, and that's trained, that's taught. So initially a new dog would be in a crate and they'd be integrated into that process of being fed together. Cause I, I, I believe, um, that, um, that's a great way to keep, um, the social, um, social, uh, barometer at a certain, at certain or social temperature at a certain rate. Um, so I do that with my dogs and all the between, um, you know, having them being under somewhat control, having focus and engagement with me independently of the other dogs, that's a really good thing, an important thing. Um, all my dogs would definitely pick me as an individual over the other dogs in my home. It's not, I, I could absolutely, if my dogs were interacting, if I walked out when it was anywhere near them, they would stop instantaneously. And I don't, um, I don't have to incite that. They just would rather much more engage with me than they would each other um so all those things uh, built together hopefully gets me uh, or allows me to uh live in a way with my dogs where they're actually really enjoyable to own um they're not problematic they're not troublesome they're dogs at the end of the day and they're always going to have their moments because that's what dogs do um but yeah generally speaking yeah they're they're enjoyable to own
0: do you when you were saying you use like you'll start the new dog in a crate mm-hmm. is Great. in the same space. Yeah, as so that your other have,
1: dogs. Yeah, so when I bring a puppy, and obviously they're not exposed to the other dogs unless I'm there and I'm supervising. That's a safety entity. Um, and my dogs are very well versed, as you can imagine, with meeting new dogs. And bearing in mind, I have dogs in for residential training. I have clients' dogs here, so my dogs are very, very comfortable. With new dogs coming into their space. So, um, when I bring a new dog into the, my home, there's a period of time where I won't allow them to make meet face-to-face, it will always be behind barriers. So my dogs that are already here, they can adjust to that new dog being in my home. And when I then start to integrate them into my my new dog, into my pack of dogs, I do it with safety protocols in place. So the puppy would be in a crate, my other dogs are milling around, and then my other dogs would be behind a barrier, the puppy would be loose and so forth. Um, and then when I start to do feeding rituals, so I do all my dogs' dinner, um, I do all the bowls, and then the puppy will be in a crate and I go put feed all my dogs in their relative, their respective positions uh, and it's all it's not spread out in a vast amount of space it's relatively local to each other or close for me that's a big thing because I want them to understand um, to be around each other and not have any in-house fighting or issues um, with dinner time and the puppy is then ing- I- I- integrated into that process so initially in a crate because they won't have the skills and then gradually they'll be fed um probably a little bit further away on the, and then gradually brought back into where that those the, all the dogs are so for me that's a really important thing um, and obviously i walk them all together um, so once my puppy's of age where they can be exercised with my other dogs that's when they start to really um assimilate to the the dogs that exist and then they become sort of one unit as it were so
0: are you walk i'm just curious you're not walking are you walking all 12 of them down the street or what are you doing because i i always see your videos and you have like your leashes wrapped around you so i know you're
1: hiking them off leash but yeah yeah so we're very lucky where i live is right on the the coast of england so it's a place called sussex and we are surrounded by vast amounts of countryside so you know massive massive what we call the downs so the sussex downs it's literally hectares and acres and acres and acres of open fields which are which do have livestock on them, so farmers would also um, have sheep roaming. Uh, and I walk all my dogs in those locations, and I'm very fortunate, and that's highly unlikely. I will see gen like most because it's so huge. There's so much space. I can avoid people. Now the caveat to that is I will also walk walk them on public spaces like uh, playing fields um, where there is more people, but because I have. Some control over them i essentially keep myself to myself. and to be fair if you saw a crazy guy with 12 dogs you'd probably avoid him as well so um but yeah i do walk all my dogs together um and as i said i, I i'm able to do that because of the foundations they have
0: that's pretty cool yeah that would I don't know. That would stress me out. I think just (laughs) because it's just my personality. Like when I'm hiking, I I go early in the morning to avoid seeing people and their dogs because I just want to not have to deal with it.
1: Yeah. And to be honest, I think most of us dog owners probably do that on some level. We avoid you know, people, because, and I would avoid people because it's not my dogs I'm concerned about. It's the unknown. Right. That's exactly, yeah, yeah. that's exactly um, So, but in the same vein, if there's been occasions when I've certainly up the downs, that is a very popular place for people to walk dogs. Um, And I'll see people with dogs and I'll just call everybody in and say, wait there, which is the cue that means everybody stop in position. I'll let the people pass and I let my dogs go. So uh, again, obviously the puppy would be learning that skill, but my other dogs would have that where I could say, wait there, which means, stay in position wherever you are, don't move, ignore the distraction, and I'll release you. So that, again, is something that I teach them so that it means that I can yeah. navigate situations where people have um, dogs that are, um, you know, out of control, or unruly, or whatever the case may be, or just overzealous and friendly. Uh, I can avoid a problem escalating.
0: As, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about, like, dogs, like, in the house, leaving to go maybe out the door, yeah. or... Uh, Going the backyard, just yeah. Um, what do you like? What do you? How do you like to teach? Maybe like impulse control or door manners type things like that. Especially with the amount of dogs, so I'm just picturing that in my head. As yeah, you're... so
1: um, I have like a generic cue, which is wait there, which means stop in position. So um, I don't have a default uh, because of my I suppose rightly or wrongly because of the type of environment I live in. Um, we live in a cul-de-sac. Um, i'm the the end house um so and my my vehicle's on my drive so when i get my dogs in my van i normally let them out um, and i open the back gate and they can literally take two strides and they're in my vehicle it's you know it's, it's up in that way but in the same vein i could easily say wait there and then call them individually if they felt appropriate so but that comes back to my foundation training so you know first and foremost my dogs are you know my companions and my pets, if you want to call them that, um, and it's really important that I have dogs that are I can take anywhere, I can do anything with. Um, I uh, that they they're pleasurable to live with. So I work really hard at creating that. But the irony is that's what underpins my sports dogs anyway. So uh, first and foremost, my gender is to make a well-adjusted family pet that's confident in itself, and that lays the foundation for the dog being a phenomenal hopefully sports dog anyway so the two things are interlinked do you feel like
0: having multiple dogs everyone needs to have like their own alone time at times because I feel like for me like I feel like that's something I always want to teach clients or coach them is that everyone needs to learn to live and coexist together and that's great but I also think that learning to be alone or separated
1: is just as important. Because- Absolutely. Absolutely. So part of it, what I will do with my puppies, whenever I get them, they'll always do things independently of the group. So I'll take them out solely on their own with the group. Or I'll put them in the crate and have them, and I'll leave them in a room on their own. So obviously they're settled and they they had their needs met. So that's part of the confidence building entity of how I raise them. So for me to have a dog, when you have that many number of dogs, if they don't have basic skills, if they're not confident, if they're not able to be left, if they can't, you know, uh, walk down the uh, this road with on a li- relatively loose lead, that's gonna make the, a prospect. That's why no, I wouldn't advise other people to go and get twelve dogs because you kind of go that's a hell of a lot of drama. But the ironic thing is that my probably my twelve dogs are probably less problem than somebody with an untrained dog a single untrained dog because it's down to the, how much education the dog has and how much control you have over the dog and whether the dog fits into your life and is easy within your life as opposed to challenging and hard when i would say because of the dogs the way in which my dogs are raised they are very easy in my life you know i don't have they don't um do anything that um but is a is a major issue that I feel overwhelms me. Like I can leave all of them in a location and go out of the house if I want to. And they're not going to tear up my house. I can I know they're going to be clean. I know they're not going to destroy things and so forth and so forth. I can take them to a location. I can let them off the lead. I know they'll come back. Um, you know, and, and it's those life skills that allows me to to have so many dogs and it not be like, oh my God, what the hell have I got taken on? But I would not obviously, if I had problems within that, then it would be a chicken and the egg. Then I clearly wouldn't have more dogs because I couldn't manage them.
0: Yeah.
2: Do you feel the way you manage them from puppyhood creates an environment where there's never issues between the 12 of them? Or do you at times let each dog communicate to each other maybe boundaries that they each have or are you kind of being there like the referee
1: oh that's a great great question so um to say I don't have issues would be disingenuous because they're dogs and you have that number of dogs you're always going to get little you know what I call handbag moments you know um and generally speaking it would be down to hormones yeah when my female dogs are in season and I obviously breed border collie so every now and again somebody will be in season that will definitely create issues within my group of dogs and it's more when they are uh when uh see when they there's an impending season looming that that's when you're probably more likely to get issues and certainly if i have a, a female that's had puppies then there might be some unrest in my social group so there is a level of management that takes place and um that largely I will orchestrate, so I might have to do a little bit of like uh, policing of uh, you know interactions and a little bit of posturing. I would just defuse and call one a dog away or send one dog to another location. Uh, and I might, in those situations, if I, for example, if I have a, a litter of puppies and uh, I would put the um, mother out with the puppies on her own, they wouldn't let my other dog. Something as you know obvious as that. What that does is it just avoids conflict happening. Now the caveat to that is. I have had it in the past with um, because of hormones I've had major 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 issues with my, with dogs um, where I where they were literally at loggerheads and they were gonna uh, you know really do physical damage to each other. Um, and that took a hell of a lot of work to resolve um but I did get work through that and get through it and that took a level of management it took a bit of training and it also took um um with what I did was with, with those two male dogs cuz I had them chemically castrated so that took the testosterone down which allowed me to navigate that particular that time then where they were really really volatile so when you have, it wouldn't matter if you took twelve people. If you put them in the space, a same space for a protracted period of time, you're going to get little issues. So it would be highly unlikely that there was always a harmonious um, a, a, a level of interaction. So it does take a little bit of management. It does take a little bit of sometimes, um, you know, saying, okay, we're not doing that crap. Right, you go over there, and you go over there. Sometimes it means like, oh, let's just diffuse this. Right, guys, come on over here. You have a treat. And, and just, you know, uh, I, I'm a little bit like the parent, the, the the adult in the room. So all you've got to be able to, when you have multiple dogs, you have to be able to read um, the nuances of behavior before it escalates to 10. You know, the subtle little side mm. eye, the little bit of jostling, the little shoulder brush, all those things that you go, that's going to now kick off in about three seconds. So I'm going to intervene before it gets to that point. Um but it becomes you know um it becomes part of how you observe and, and then like there'll be trigger points like for example certainly not in my like in my garden my garden isn't isn't particularly big I wouldn't be doing throwing toys around headlessly with my dogs because they all get over aroused and there's likely to be an incident um take place now I could absolutely say to them all I could say to certainly 10 of them not the puppy 10 of them I could say wait there call one dog out, throw a toy, call you back, lay you to wait, and then do that. But again, that would probably be something I would do, I don't know, every now and again, if I felt it was, you know, I wanted to, I don't know, exercise them or do something specific. But it's, but generally speaking, I wouldn't do activities that caused them to be super, super aroused when they were all around each other, because that's when it's le- likely to be a catalyst for problems. When you, so now when you see that,
0: let's say something does happen. Mm-hmm. You maybe you didn't see it or you saw something getting ready to happen, but it was a little too late. Um, Do you feel like there's a pl- a time and place to let a dog know, hey, like that's not okay, whether that's saying no or like mm-hmm. letting them know you made a mistake that's not appropriate?
1: Um, so that's a great question. So I, I suppose the... Answer would be, um, again, it's supposed chicken and the egg, because I would, with my dog specifically, I would say I wouldn't let it get to that point, because I'm always monitoring and observing and and noting subtle behaviour changes. So um, I would hope that it doesn't get to that point. If an uh, incident did um, uh, happen, like, for example, you know, as I said, with the two dogs that really didn't get on, I, I didn't physically do anything to them other than it break them up and put one dog in one space and another in that. Because by that point, I was like, oh my God, this has all gone left. What yeah. is, there's no, it's like, it's gone so badly. I needed to pull it all back. Um. So, but what I suppose, which comes back to the original point of when you were saying, um, what's the key, key thing is, I'm really consistent with the things that I ask of my dogs. So if I, I'll, like, if I call them, I'll only call them once. And then if they don't respond, I'll go and get them to come back or I will back it up in some way, shape or form. Um, so it's that mantra that positive isn't permissive. I'm definitely not a walkover with my dogs. You can't be with twelve dogs, you know. You yeah. have to have some level of boundaries. Um, I don't, um, I, I don't like my dogs, um, you know, jumping up on furniture and things like that. So I don't have that. Not the big dogs. I don't have them on the furniture. That's a rule I have. But it's it's about whatever. It, it doesn't matter what you train, how you train dogs, the dog breed you have. The biggest thing that people often fall short on is being consistent. And it doesn't mean that the way in which I choose to live my life with my dogs would be what suit you guys. Mm. But I'm consistent with what I ask of my dogs and hopefully you're consistent with what you ask of your dogs. And that's the key thing, you know? So like if I took my dogs out for a walk, I'd let them out the van, they'd all go careering off. I wouldn't care. They'd be like going really excited. They'd be running off, whatever. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. You might not want your dogs to do that. Um, But because I'm consistent with saying, I have no issue with this behavior in this context, it then doesn't bite me in the backside and in the other way. But then the, the caveat to that is if they run off and I felt I could easily go, right, everybody get here, wait there, and I could intervene. So I always have that option. But the big thing that people often fall short, and I'm sure you, you see this with domestic clients, is consistency. Um, and the lack of consistency will erode the dog's understanding.
0: Yeah, because I sometimes wonder, like, I, I sometimes think about, whether it's in a training situation where you might, you know, you, the dog makes a mistake and Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe it's something in the environment. Maybe it's just the dog is a little bit over excited or a little aroused about training. When is it appropriate to maybe just say whether it's no or try again, like a mistake Mm -hmm. mark or something, Mm -hmm. letting them know, Hey, that's, Maybe that's not what I asked. Can we mm-hmm. try that again? Yeah. Um, And also in like a multi-dog household, no, you know what? I don't want you doing that. Mm-hmm. And whoops, you know, yeah, you know, something happened. It doesn't have to be like dogs are fighting. It could just be, yeah. hey, I yeah. don't like you going over there, bothering, you yeah. know, Fluffy in the corner. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's not appropriate. Yeah. He's old, yeah. you know, leave him yeah. alone. yeah so, so
1: yeah. I'll, I'll give you an, a great example because i'm going through it at the moment so one of my dogs is 10 months old so she's in the height of adolescence and she's being as typical teenagers are a real brat so you say to her for example can you go to the dog room and she goes no f you i'm going to run around the garden so all i simply do is just walk after her she can't my garden is vast i just go and put my hand in the collar bring her to the mouth of the i don't put her in i just bring her to where the door entrances, and i'll say to her go in she'll go f you i'm off so i'll do that as many times as it takes till she goes okay i'll go in the uh, where i want you to in the house the dog room whatever um so i um in response to your question i am saying to her there's going to be a consequence to your action mm-hmm. but my consequence doesn't escalate more than i've asked you to do something i'm going to back it up yeah. so i wouldn't need to because of the way in which my dogs are raised I wouldn't need to escalate beyond, I'm gonna make this happen. So, and what they very quickly learn because it will happen, you know, in various things in there as they grow, like my my poodle puppy's done it. She goes, I don't want you to brush me. So I'll obviously use, I'll do some reinforcement and then I'll just hold her and she'll go, no, I don't want you, I'll just hold her. She calms down, I'll wait. Okay, I'm gonna continue brushing. Right, let's now feed you. So she'll just go, no, I want to bite the brush. And I'll go, well, you can try and bite as much as you want. I'm just gonna hold you very tightly I'm not going to shout a horror, but this is happening. Yeah. So we can either take 20 minutes or we can take two minutes. It doesn't matter to me because I have the time, you know? And yeah. and I, I suppose I have that same principle with my daughter. It's very much like, here's the way in which we, you know, things. I'm very lenient. You can, you know, you can have a lot of freedom. You can have... You know, it's not a problem with you saying can you do this or can you do that? But if daddy says, can you do this when I want you to and you don't, there's going to be a consequence to your, to your actions. You know, it's very much like "Look, it's up to you. Um, we can do it this way. You can continue doing what you want. You know, you can have your iPad if you get ready for bed now. If you don't get ready for bed now, you're still going to we can make this. You know, we can take twice as long, but you're sure as hell gone, I'm going to get your iPad. So which one yeah. is it? You know, it's yeah. that sort of logic that um, I applied to my dog training.
0: Yeah, I and I like the example you gave with like the doorway threshold. You're yeah. oh you you know you bring the dog over. You ask the dog. The dog makes like decides. now nah, I'm gonna not do that. Yeah. And all you're doing is walking over. And nope, we're gonna try that again. Yeah, yeah. And then okay, if you're not doing that, and the dog blows you off. Nope, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna come after you again. Yeah. And I'm gonna just wait until we make the right decision. Yeah. So you're Just constantly yeah. the the consistency or repetition. Yeah. At some point, you know, the dog's going to probably understand, oh, all right, fine.
1: Yeah. Because what then happens is like, and I, the thing, the, the, I get this asked this question a lot, you know, about, you know, what would I do in that situation? Or what would, as a person that says, oh, you're an enforcement based dog trainer, and they'll propose in a hypothetical. And the caveat to that is, I will say, you know, um, dogs can read people really, really well. So I can i can count countless times in my career when there's been a dog that's been you know in a class situation or one to one when it's been blowing the owner off and being a total um, jackass and I will pick up the lead and I will do nothing and the dog will go oh gosh I'm gonna it's a do- different energy I don't know specifically what it is that I do that admits that to a dog but a dog will always read me and go oh you're not the person to be trying this with well, this is the first rodeo
0: well i think also if you, let's take your example for, with the the threshold i think sure. after a while after like probably the third rep yeah you know, scenario the dog is even if the dog continuously blows you off 10 times yeah. probably by the third ref rep, mm-hmm. the rep dogs probably learning oh, he's coming back like cuz yeah. you're, you're you're approaching you know, you are like kind of putting a little pressure on the dog yeah, in your definitely. space because you are yeah. coming in. And yeah. I am now going to just grab your collar, uh, yeah. I know you condition the collar grab, yeah. As, yeah. To I, as to many people. But yep. like you're coming in, even though you've conditioned the collar grab, this is what we're doing now. And I'm going to guide yep. you there. Yep. And if, you know, the dog blows you off, you're essentially just following. And, uh, yep. you know, I think.
1: And it becomes to so the dog will absolutely pick up on. Oh, shit. yeah so i don't have to escalate what i do because i can physically see oh the dog's now obviously mildly if you want to call it uncomfortable however you want to term it but the dog is not exactly the dog's not running around my garden going woohoo i'm having after the third rep they're definitely not doing that they're going oh shit i'm not sure how this is gonna work out and it doesn't therefore i don't need to do anything more than just going i said to you go in the dog room it's like it's not a request it's not it's not a sorry it's not a, a, a democracy get your ass in the dog room Um, And so they very quickly learn. And it's those little things that I do with my dogs throughout their life that they soon go, oh, if he says come back when he's called or wait there, he will absolutely back it up. So the easiest thing is to just concede and go with what he wants. And then the premise, the caveat that is, as soon as they do what I want, I'm like, okay, you can have at it, you can have freedom again, or whatever. You can go, like my, my, with the puppy, I did it the other day. As soon as she went to the dog rhythm and she did it when I asked her, and like, okay, off you go. That's it. Made my point. Everybody can go out again. You know, I'm not, so they, that, what I'm explaining to them is if you do it my way, you will get exactly what you want, which is to run around the garden like an idiot. I have no issue with that, but I'd like you to get your ass in the dog room now because it was raining or whatever the case may be, but you need to do it when I ask you to. And all my other dogs would instantly trot in there because they've had that experience of me going, no, I said I mean it. So, um, you know, it is, It is. I suppose that's where pe- people, let, you know, say, oh, I'm a reinforcement-based dog trainer. It's to 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 detail exactly how I would handle a situation like that. Um So it wouldn't be, I wouldn't escalate, I wouldn't raise my voice. I wouldn't use any um, physical um, violence um, or aggression. It would merely be on repetition, but I suspect the dog and I know for a fact, the dog would definitely go, oh, that isn't really. um,
2: I think that that's how I differentiate personally. And I could ask what you guys do is the difference between, so like I would define what you're, what you're describing as a correction. Versus like aversive control or a punishment, mm-hmm. um, I feel sometimes positive reinforcement trainers will say that a correction is just like a euphemism for for punishment, and I think certainly it can be by certain yeah. people because yeah. um, it just sounds nice to correct. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I, I think I think I heard this first from maybe Pat Stewart about like a correction should make a dog correct. So. You're not just like hurting a dog or being violent or hitting a dog or shocking a dog, but you asked the dog to say, Hey, go into the mud room or go out the door. And yeah. then they were like, na na na, na poo-poo, I'm not. Yeah. yeah and it yeah. wasn't like you just pressed the button on a remote, like you yeah. went over there and you got the dog to do the thing that you wanted them to do. So for me, what what I do sometimes is I'll actually start with training the correction. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning like in your case before I ever need it I'll grab the dog's collar and lead it to a treat and grab the dog's collar yeah, yeah, and use yeah, my yeah. body and get him to do that <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then when I am like quote unquote correcting the dog yeah. I'm only following through again consistently and clearly yeah. with yeah. something that I asked with a you can call it a correction but it's a yeah. correction that's been taught yeah. And it's clear and the dog goes, Oh, I know. It's not just like, Hey, get in the mud room. And then if you don't, yeah. I'm gonna whack you in the head and yeah, say yeah, no. Yeah, I yeah. said, Get in the mud room. It's yeah. like go in the mud room and then they're like, No, I don't wanna and then I hold their hand and I walk them into the mud room and they've already yeah. been seen that picture. So I don't know. If yeah that, that's, that's kind of that's, what you're describing that's
1: what i would do because i would definitely condition walking up grab the uh, so grab the collar feed the dog grab it walk mm-hmm. it. i'd absolutely do that or i'd sometimes i'll go grab them and i'll go and get them and give them their dinner so they go oh I, the grabbing thing is not a bad thing do you know what i mean but what mm-hmm. they pick up on is if i say go in the dog room oh he's gonna back it up so easiest thing is just to yeah
2: because i think uh, what i think what i notice a lot when i go to when i go to a client's house Mm -hmm. Uh, for the first time someone that's never had a dog they get very hung up on like words that I say like they think that my words are magical like they'll be like oh you're saying the word off instead of down so like and then they think that's what the magic is and Mm -hmm. I feel like actually teaching people how like what is the thing you want to get your dog to do how can you get your dog to do that without speaking Mm -hmm. And then how do you then do that after you say the word, you know, do you know what I'm saying? So like yesterday I was, you know, typical puppy biting all over the place. Mm -hmm. And like, I just very gently grabbed the leash and held the dog still when it tried to bite my leg and like gently, you know, put my arm away. And it could no longer bite me. Right. Whereas the owners were saying the same word, but they were like waving their legs around and shoving the dog and pushing. Yeah. Um, You know, so just teaching them, teaching them how to correct the dog in a way that's clear and consistent, but it's not like a violent correction, like nothing. Yeah, and I think physically- you,
1: you raised a really interesting point there, which I think is such a great um, thing to talk about. We all, we get hung up on language. We get hung up on labels. Like, you know, where do you sit? Are you forced free? Are you reinforcement? Are you balanced? I really don't care, to be honest with you. Um, I'm quite. Funny enough, I just did a podcast earlier where I was talking about this exact point of, I, I, I suppose my in my career, I haven't really sort of like, you know, got the tribal stamp and assimilated to any particular group. I've sort of just gone. I'm going to just do my own thing, and it's actually served me because I'm able to have conversations with, you know, various people from various backgrounds, and I feel there isn't that animosity or resistance to a conversation and that's all it is and i think mm-hmm. that we get so hung up about you know which is great why you ask that question about um you know what would i do type of thing because people then you know will analyze that and go well is that positive punishment is that negative blah blah, blah? is that political? like who cares it yeah up, yeah it doesn't matter you know, I, that, like the foot i would say that my relationship with my dogs uh are one that um, i'm very proud of and i work really hard at i think i've done it consistently i mean i've owned of my own dogs I have 25 dogs and of my own which I've had from you know day one to the day they pass um I've had de- various breeds of dogs I've trained probably every breed of dog known to man uh so I've trained and I've not just trained a type of dog and I feel that you know that gives me a, a definitely a perspective where I go well I think you can do it this way I think that you're consistent but I would say the biggest thing that people fall down on, irrespective of the approach you take is consistency they're just not consistent and it doesn't matter whether it's um a, a malinois or a cockapoo it does not matter if you are inconsistent you will buy, bear the brunt of that now the trade-off with say for example i don't know a, a golden retriever from show lines. Your inconsistency will have a lot more less less lot less fallout than a entire male working bred Malinois. You're gonna feel the that's gonna have a bit more sting with if you're inconsistent. So it's the same issue. You're inconsistent. What's just one dog cover joint inconsistencies better than the other one, you know. And I think that's the thing that um, most people fall down on. If I'm honest,
2: yeah. And I feel like even you know as a dog trainer. I can, um, I'm sure you guys feel the same way is because there's so much information and so many ways to train. Sometimes it's not just being inconsistent in a bad way. Sometimes it's like wanting to try so many things at the same time where it's like, you're, you're almost better off consistently training your dog, even if it's like a lower quality of training versus like Doing like five or six different like high level like training yeah. techniques on the same dog. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Where it's yeah. like, and,
1: definitely, and I think that's that's the, the the beauty and the the fallout of social media, and that you've only got to go online and put a dog for, and you're going to have twenty five different versions of teaching a dog to go into a dog room. You know, um, it would, be, and you go, all of those would work, but let's pick one and stick with one and just persevere until we feel that method hasn't suited that particular dog. Right, now let's go on to plan B and just do it systematically. Um, and I think that's the, you know, when I came up, we didn't have social media, we didn't have the bloody internet and one social media. So um, it was a much more smaller window of information. You could get information from a book, but you essentially then just followed, in my case, it was the local dog training uh, instructor. He was the expert, which I refer- referred to, good and bad. Now, the, obviously, you um, the methods back then weren't exactly um, you know, positive, but what I definitely did, what, what he definitely taught me was to follow a process to from beginning to end. And that has stood me in good stead moving forward. Um, and I think often people look for a quick fix. I'm sure you guys um, see that all the time in your work, really. They want the quickest solution to the problem in the least amount of time, but not really what being aware of the fallout or essentially where the problem stems from.
0: Sort of on that, but shifting gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. I wanted to um I wanted to touch on reward specific markers or location specific markers. Yep. Um, because I kind of I kind of feel it sort of ties into what you guys were just kind of talking about, because I think it's a topic that I don't know if for me I it's something that's I'm noticing is coming up in conversation more or yep. if it's just that. Now I'm more aware of it as a trainer because it wasn't something I knew of when I first started. Um, And I know it's something that is more uh, discussed in the sports (laughs) area um, of training. So um, I want to kind of touch on that a little bit. Like if you could maybe explain for the listeners, like what, what those are like what a reward specific marker is for you and what you find um the pros and cons or the effectiveness of them yeah.
1: excellent okay so um so i just well pose a question back. i know that you've obviously done dog sports anthony have you done dog sports as well viddy's just before i get a bit jargony
2: i am doing manduring with uh, my dog in oh, the awesome. zim over here yeah first first time though so i've only been doing it for a couple of years
1: oh so this is your first sports dog
2: This is my first sports dog that I'm like lined up to do a sport with from puppy. My, my previous dog was kind of like Jack of all trades. Just tried a bunch of different things, but nothing seriously.
1: Awesome. Oh, cool. That's super cool. Okay. So, um, so in terms of RSMs and LSMs, a reward specific marker and location specific marker, they essentially are a more, um, nuanced and more specific form of communication to your dog. So I obviously use a marker system, so I click a word, which gen- what I used to do was use a generic marker word. So hypothetically, I didn't use this, but most people will use yes, okay? So when they say their dog, the dog does something correct, they signal that the, it's a bridge, so they say yes, and the dog then receives a reinforcement. Now, that's where it, it start, things start to get a bit ropey. So first off, we would analyze, what does yes mean to that dog? So if I, and I want my marker words to be really salient, and. If I say yes in the context of dog training, what, how does my dog discriminate when the yes that they hear in that situation is applicable to them? And the one when I'm saying, Oh, would you like a cup of coffee? Yes isn't applicable to them. It will be now down to the tone of voice or body language, etc. So now I'm putting a, a, almost a padlock or a key, a specific code on my marker word of being effective to the dog, which then means that I need to be aware of what that, that code is, uh, i.e. look at eye contact, shoulder thrust and forward, a certain intonation of voice and so forth, okay? Now that's one problem of having a generic marker and one not having one that's unique. Additionally, when the, I say yes, or even if I'm more... Uh, specific and I have a specific word like my one of my words is win if I say win but there's a generic reinforcement attached to it depending on the type of dog that's going to affect the dog's emotion so you know you have a man while you will know this too well you have a kelpie I say win and my dog assumes because yesterday I gave it a tug toy and I'm trying to sit, teach a sit-stay, my dog is going to be really aroused instantaneously. But I'm going to say, oh, but I'm really sorry, buddy. I'm going to give you a treat or a cookie in this instance. That's going to then either create a level of frustration because the dog will be going, give me the bloody toy, you moron. Or the dog is going to be, like, if it was a lower drive dog, they're going to go, oh, I don't want that thing. And then I have to work through the dog being conflicted about the reinforcement. Now, when it comes to training specific behaviour, where that can bite me in the ass is the communication system or the processes aren't clear enough to the dog. So now think of the contrast of using a reward specific marker. I can not only affect the dog's arousal state, but I can affect the fluidity of the behavior. So let's just say, for example, I'm teaching my dog to a sit stay, and I wanna mark the correct behavior. Well done dog, you're in position. I want you to continue doing that. I would use a reinforcement marker that says to my dog, rewards are going to come to you my word is snack i'd come to the dog and i'd feed it in position and then i could repeat the ad duration i could repeat that marker snack come and feed the dog in position so that would allow me to influence the dog's arousal state because the dog's going to predict well he comes and gives me a treat in position there's no point getting hyped in arousal i might just might as well just continue doing this particular behavior now think of the contrast to then if i had uh, if I wanted to beat speed into a behavior, a retriever is a good example. I want a dog to run out fast and run back fast. I can use a reward marker that says to the dog, You've done that bit correctly. Come and get the reinforcement, which is now going to be a toy. And I could even add more information. I'm going to add throw the toy, which is going to then, if I do that consistently, the dog is going to predict the pattern of pick up the toy. I've done it correctly his next thing he's going to do is throw the toy which for the next time the dog does that after that reinforcement process the dog's going to start to anticipate or predict that pattern and run faster to me does that make sense so the information is so much clearer to the dog as opposed to me just saying yes now the dog has to run through a guessing game of oh yes does that mean first off this is that applicable to me oh it is applicable to me right what reinforcement oh i'm gonna get a tug toy i really want a piece of cheese oh well that sucks never mind i'll take the the, the tug toy um but now that i've got the tug toy i'm a little bit more jacked up now you want me to do a static still behavior oh i'm all aroused and can you see how that affects the dog's learning
2: <laughs> so- yeah for sure for sure and then um and then my question for you is um you know something that i'm doing with with my malinois and we've talked about this previously in in an episode recently is say i want a behavior that is the same but then i want two different arousal states this is gonna get nuanced too it's like then i'll teach my dog two cues for the same behavior and then like the contingencies will be different right like if i'm doing a a downstay for an absence I don't want my dog to be like shaking in that down ready to get released out of it whereas like sometimes I might come back and not even reward at all yeah. um again because my dog's you know specifically is might even get hyped from from anything just coming back and putting him into a heel yeah. um yeah, there's so much I want to talk about this. So I'll try to, I want to stop there because I, I don't want to go off. I'll go off on a tangents.
0: To go to, to your point for a second. So you're saying like uh, you might have two words for a down, right? Like, so one might be one might be more for like being more relaxed versus yep.
1: like be focused, you're saying, correct? Yep. Yep. So I would teach, so in that instance, obviously uh, I teach the equivalent of an absence, a down stay. And my word would be lie down. Which means to my dog, well, I, I would I want them to flop into a do a a, a, a hip roll down, so it would be a, a different criteria. Um, but I want the dog's mental state to go, oh, okay, I'm going to be hanging out here for a period of time. I want the dog to be relaxed. If I said to my dog head, that means go into a sphinx down, be much more alert because you're about to do something explosive or you need to be on to be ready. And those two things are very different. Now, um, obviously in um, uh, certainly in Mondio. You will use, you will recycle the behavior. So the behavior, like a down, you'll be using in various ways. And obviously, uh, like it might be context specific. Like you might teach, I don't know, hypothetically, um, say the the guarding of the decoy. Uh, you might ask the dog to release and go into a down. Hypothetically, well, that's a very different emotional state to a dog doing a down for uh, um, I can't, uh, signals. What do you call signals? You don't call it that in- Positions yeah positions so it'd be a very different uh mindset that you want you want the dog um obviously engaged but you don't want that ever ready edginess in that down so hence where that's where um, reward specific markers would absolutely create a lot more clarity to the dog
2: yeah for sure anthony
0: i was gonna just say like anon i guess also i guess it kind of depends like i'm just thinking of that example if you used let's say you said lie down as you're just like, that's your down. It, there's going to be other things occurring versus uh, I say, chill out, which is like, that's yeah. your settle, like yeah. rock yeah. on your hip. Like just, we're not doing anything. Yeah, yeah. I think that also is going to depend on like the situation, the context uh, yeah. too, because like, I, I was just thinking of when you gave the decoy example, I'm thinking of like my dog quest herding sheep. I can say down in my house and she's, you know, she may be ready to work or she'll kind of settle. But if I say on sheep, like she's going to still be focused and ready because like the stock are there and she that's Mm -hmm. what the motivation is in that context. Yeah. You know, so like, I I think like I'd have to try it. I've never tried it where I've asked her for her chill out down Mm -hmm. around sheep other than like if she was watching them outside of the field like i've done it that way but i've never done it when we're actually in the field with the stock together
1: i i would say that would be uh, um so on that's a really good example so if the dog what i don't want okay is the dog to do exactly that i don't want my dog my dog that does protection work i don't want it to walk on a protection field and get itself instantly aroused by the possibility of doing protection i want them to go that's nothing to do with me i'm not playing that game at this moment i'm going to just hang out here until i say to them their cues which my cue when i do bite work is i'm going to play bandits so that means okay now <laughs> this is now applicable to you you need to get yourself really focused on the external reinforcement that's available to you so that's a very different for me i i would be very uh clear with my dogs of saying if i had them milling around when i do and people are doing protection. I would show I would I would expect them to show some level of interest, but I wouldn't expect them to be getting themselves over aroused. And the reason that's important is because if you go to a competition and your dog is going to that environment and getting itself over aroused before the get-go, when it gets into a competition, Um, scenario your dog is going to expel unnecessary energy or get itself so over aroused that you now have a dog that you think shit where the hell did this come from Um, and that's a well as you well know that happens all the time in agility you know dogs get to agility shows they are so overstimulated because they the environment creates the arousal the context creates the arousal Um, as opposed to the dog understanding hey buddy you're at an agility show but we're not that's nothing to do with you Um, and that would be a part of my training process to be honest
0: yeah it's a good point I I actually wish like when I first started with journey that I like thought to do that more because I didn't it was my first dog doing a sport with and uh, I like had no I didn't even like I just jumped in I didn't like research things I wasn't like oh okay yeah like I just jumped in and was like all right teach me like you know, I don't care.
1: To be fair to you, you sort of fell into it because of obviously his various yeah. things. You sort of, it wasn't your initial thing that you were going to do. You were going to do uh, agility when you were, or, or uh, was it agility and obedience really you started out with?
0: I started with agility with him. Yeah. I wasn't 100% sure if that's what I wanted to do when I got him, but he was, he was bred for, for agility. Yeah. 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 And
1: yeah. then it's sort of because of his physical challenges he's had, it's now forced you into doing something else, so to speak. Not forced you, but coerced yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he hated
0: actually obedience. So I eventually scrapped that cause he just had no interest. He loves uh, scent work. Right. So I'm actually jumping into that with him and I want to see where I can, like what I could do with him with that. Cause that he enjoys uh, a lot. And he likes oh. sheep hurting too, but the problem with that is uh, he lacks confidence in certain ways. So he could do an arena trial fine, but if he goes on a field, you have to walk with him to do the work. You can't just like, oh, wow. I can't send him out. Like, you know, maybe if I had more hours on him oh, regularly, yeah. maybe he'd get to a better place with that. But on a field, it's, I can send him out to a certain degree, but he's yeah. going to want to bring the stock back to me. He's not going to drive them away from me, yeah, yeah. you know? Like, whereas like my other dog, who's way more serious, she could push away or bring them without a problem.
1: Yeah. but he'd be the type of dog unless you've got access to sheep on a literally a regular yeah. basis. You can't cover that ground. Right. Um, exactly. You know, doing it once a month, isn't going to develop that yeah. dog's confidence sufficiently for you to go, Oh, let me rock up at a trial. Cause the timeline yeah. it would take to achieve that would be yeah. years.
0: Yeah, you know? exactly. Be- yeah. Yeah. Cause we've, we haven't been able, like we, we haven't been able to advance to our next level in, in sheep herding, because I just don't, it's no, there's nothing close. The closest thing to me is like two hours away, you know? Um, so yeah. But anyway, Digress. I'd love to,
2: I'd love to, br- I know, I'd love to bring us back to um, what we were talking about before. Cause it was making me think, I'd love to hear what you guys would do at stuff like this. So something that I've been um, looking at lately and figuring out how to mitigate is so you have your, your reward specific marker, um, those can uh, create a certain arousal level in the dog that we can take advantage of, whether we want them to be excited or or we want to kind of calm them down. Um, I'm wondering what kind of things you do, if anything, to mitigate like the bleeding over. If, if you use um, a specific marker within a specific behavior, then that behavior becomes associated with the marker. And then if you're doing a sport such as Mondio, where you are shifting, between exercises where you might want calmness and then exercises where you might want that arousal. So to give you a specific example, say, say you're doing your absence, so the dog is in a down stay. You want the dog to be chill in that down, right? Um, you you walk away, you come back, and then let's say every single time, because it is part of uh, of what, you, what you're to do, is you come back to your dog and then you ask your dog to heal out of that down. But then that heal is associated with maybe a higher arousal type of marker. And then the dog, because these freaking dogs are so damn smart, start associating the, the absence with you're gonna come back. And I guess it's not really a marker, but then it almost is like, it's almost like your heel turns into almost a marker in itself, even though it's a behavior. So now yeah. it's like the behaviors you're asking your dog are turning into markers.
1: Do you yeah, know what so i'm saying be, and then so now absolutely. like
2: now you tried to like reward the dog for the calm down but then you're saying heal on the dog ooh, i like to heal so yeah, yeah so like that's kind but of where my was, brain goes
1: there's a couple of things because um that you would do to counteract that so per- one would be understanding behavior chains uh and how behavior chains work so if the dog makes it uh, you know obviously the, the sequence is, uh absence heal work then onto something else that equates to reinforcement coming or, or high level reinforcement you would want to change that pattern in training or as many situations as you possibly can so it would be absence heel, absence heel, articles or what, wooden sticks what's it called is the wooden sticks you call it um uh the little dowly things the same so you do all you would do a oh yeah no you're
2: talking about little stick six.
1: yeah you would talk we would do a, a whole sequence of behaviors that would be equate to lower arousal. The other thing, which is what um, two of my friends who do Mondio um, taught, was um, in when it's heel work, as in the obedience phase of Mondio, they put the dog on one side. But when they were mm-hmm. transitioning for the dog from in between, they would put the dog on the other side or, or the right hand side, so the dog then had a uh, another discriminative stimulus that said, "Hey, dog," you know, like so. For example, you would do. Uh, if I, I, I'm i not totally familiar with the test, but if it was absence, heel work, and then you went on to something else, you could, to change it up, you could say to the dog, absence, let's just say heel was left and close was right. Absence, close, do something else. So are you with me? So yeah, the, yeah, yeah, what I love about Mondio is there's so many scenarios that you can play around with, with it. And because the pattern is so unpredictable, you can actually, the way in which um you would get around it is you would make your chains or your chaining so unpredictable and so diverse yeah
2: yeah so
1: the dog would never and because the beauty of mondial ring is the test is never the same it's never like it's not even vaguely similar in terms of the setup everything constantly changes the scenario the setup the picture everything that is the that is the secret source that's and this is
2: where i think and this is why i think i I like this word is i'm I'm sometimes very disorganized, um, especially like my thoughts are disorganized. That's why I have a hard time asking one single question when we have guests on. But then I feel like it it kind of benefits you if you're constantly throwing your dog off, you know, instead of just like following the same specific formula um and it's like it's it's especially easier when you're like me and you're just forgetful and you're not really doing it on purpose you're just like oh shit like like, you can't even keep up with me because I don't even know what I'm doing and then it it kind of benefits
1: you Mondio is such a cool sport and as I said if I had more time I'd absolutely do it I contemplate doing it with the Mali I've got now and the giant schnauzer I was like it's such a there's so many things to train. Uh, and because of the ever changing pictures, I was like, I don't think I can do it with the time that I've got. Um, I will at some point have a dabble it with, with a dog, but I definitely won't be at the moment. Um, I think it's such such a cool sport because there's so many things to train. Um, and as I said, I've, I've helped uh, a couple of people a couple of friends train it with their dogs. And, um, Oh, it was like a dog trainers, absolute, like, um, you know, real like dog trainers joy because there's so many things to um, to train.
2: So you're 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 giving your dogs uh, a reward specific marker so they know what they're getting um and then you're also you're doing location specific as well correct so like you'll so if you're bringing a toy to your dog it'll be different than if you're bringing a piece of food to your dog um or and then i I don't know if you implement that
1: one i'm contemplating teaching it so the reward markers i have are um, you're going to get a toy and you're going to get food generically and i have thrown reinforcement on the floor reinforcement reinforcement from my hand reinforcement behind me, reinforcement um, on somebody else. i um, mm-hmm. trying to think of what else I'd have to, I've got them written down. What so.
2: about like, just like, social? like, I don't know if any of your dogs are 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 like very into just, even just a social calming type of word. Like if you're just going to like pat them or say like, you know, verbal praise or if you'll do um, that differently.
1: I haven't got that on ARSM. I've just got on a, on a generic good, you know, well done dog. Yeah. 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 Um, i my i'm just trying to think really i i've got a couple of dogs that are very very into physical um interaction but if i'm honest they get too aroused by it like they mm-hmm. my daddy especially if you start like fussing her she's so yeah, t- yeah. You yeah. Find it so, so t- she's like a labrador like she's absolutely yeah. ass- labrador when you fuss her and it, it, she'd be like that with i mean the breed shouldn't be as social what she is but she's like honest to god she's like a labrador like a really overzealous labrador and i've had to really really work on going no ignore people ignore people because when <laughs> i first started i was thinking shit this is going to be a major problem because this dog gets aroused by the presence of humans and she gets aroused by bite staff can you imagine the problems that i'd have if i if i had to bite stuff and human beings this dog would be off her her head um, so I had to do a lot of like what I call anti people training. People ignore you. People are boring. Ignore people. Ignore people. Ignore people. And she's now at a point of where she's she's I wouldn't say she's indifferent, but she can be around people and not get overstimulated. And she's into the work now, so that will trump her. But when she was a puppy, oh my god, it was ridiculous. I I don't think I've ever had a dog that's been that socially motivated, um, and and that will come through in her work. I've got a. a, a Border Collie who, um, she's very social and she likes um, interaction, but she does it from a place of appeasement. So she's a real, like, um, if she was around any of you, um, she would be wanting, she'd want to wear you. She'd want her to, you know, she'd want you to, like, she'd want to be on you, but not in a um, necessarily a, uh, oh, this is, like, love me. It's like a neediness about her. So if you use social reinforcement for her, she can sometimes get a little bit, it can be, there's an underlying thread of anxiety with it, like a, a neediness. So again, it's just knowing the place with which social interaction comes from, you know? Um, and I think a lot of dogs probably, I've had a dog in the past, definitely. He, would, he had more value in me just telling him as a good boy. His biggest reinforcement was sitting on my lap and literally me cuddling him. That was his ultimate jackpot reinforcement. Um, and if you had, what he really wanted to do was hold a toy in his mouth, you don't touch it, sit on your lap and you just fuss him and literally cuddle him. That was his his jackpot. So I would I'd put that on a reinforcement specific marker because um, then I could put it on a variable schedule of reinforcement and spontaneously throw that out. So he would then start to get, because he was a very low drive dog, he would be pushing me to try and get the opportunity to have access to that reinforcement.
2: I love that. Um, and then on the location specific, Marker do you have multiple locations on your person um, or is it all just like one word that means that like the dog is getting a toy from you like do you ever teach your dog that like the toy is going to be whether your right hand left hand behind your back yeah so
1: I, I have taught uh go behind me um go behind the dog um my friend uh, who's a phenomenal dog trainer she trains it in relation to the dog so it's left right behind the dog forward um so she has four lsms and then she has a couple of others for um toys and and food but um she teaches it in relation to the dog and i haven't done that as yet um but the beauty of rsms and lsms is you can tailor make them to your own needs There is no right and wrong it's like well if you do mondio and you need a dog that does x y and z an rsm will will help you in this context but you know um anthony who does sheep herding he might have a whole nother like totally different to yours and that's what i love about them you can literally cut them to suit the task at hand
2: yeah yeah um and then my last question oh god oh sorry Uh, My last question in regards to that um, is do you ever um, mark the dog and then are they immediately getting that location-specific marker or do you ever send them to a location and then have like a slower reward event where you're actually like having the dog wait for the Um, the reward?
1: I've got a reinforcement marker, which is a remote reinforcement. So if I say bingo, that means the reward is away from me. Uh, I won't necessarily tell the dog prior where the reward is, but it will mean I don't have reinforcement on me and it's up from somewhere else. And that's beneficial for competition. So I can mark my dog in a in a competitive arena and walk back to my car hypothetically and give the dog reinforcement. So I can do that because I put, also put a time delay on it. I, In reality, I'd probably be just got to leave the ring and be right. So I guess
2: what it. I mean is if you use a location-specific marker, do you ever, like, use the location-specific marker to get the dog to the location and then follow up with a, another marker to then know, like, where they're going to go um, um, for that? So I, so I,
1: haven't, maybe, I um, haven't done that. I okay. haven't done that. But... Um, what context were you thinking of using that?
2: Yeah, so so I kind of was. Pl- I've been playing around with this because an, an issue that I was having is, uh, is say during healing. Right, I, I taught my dog to go around my back to get the reward to prevent the foraging. So he does like okay. a, a, a like a turn right. goes yep. around my back and gets the toy. Right, but if I want to fade out the toy, and I don't want to be holding a toy in my right hand, yeah. I want to give him that cue. But uh, or that marker, I'm sorry, that location specific marker. So but if I don't have the toy in my hand, and I say, spin, and he spins around my back and then pops up on my right hand, my right side, and I go to get the toy afterwards, so I could so I don't have to have the toy out. He's like biting my hand, right? So like what I've what I've kind of switched to doing is I'm giving him that location specific marker to mark the good healing. So because I want to mark the healing where it's good when there's no toy out. And then I want you to get to the area where you're going to have your reward event. But Mm -hmm. like, I don't have a toy there yet, because it's in my pocket. Uh So I need you to also not maul me and take my hand off. Right. Um, So I've I've kind of been playing around and I changed the word um, so that if I messed it up, I could just go back to what it was, right? So I say my marker, he goes to my side, and then I'm taking the toy out. But then I'm like telling him to wait. And then at that point I can then say, get it and throw it. I can say yes and let him grab it. Or I get, you know what I mean? So it's almost like, a, it's almost like a two tier marker system where it's like, you're letting the dog know where the, where the reward event is going to take place. And then I'm also going to follow that up with a second, with a second um, marker.
1: So that's interesting. Cause I would probably say that's now evolved to another cue that follows the behavior. So for example, it would be like you saying, if I had a dog that crabbed or inverted, I could say twist but the dog wouldn't assume that I was going to reinforce. That would be another behavior that, again, a behavior change. So it, evolved, mm-hmm. it affects the behavior. Mm-hmm. For me, when I hear, say, the reinforcement marker, that would automatically give the dog permission. So then they
2: have that. You, you would say, like, they need to be able to get to that, even if it always consistently led to it. I mean, like I said, the main reason why I'm doing it is, is just to get the food. Like, I need a chance to get it out um you know what i mean or or, or <laughs> otherwise when... i have to heal with the toy in my right hand forever and yeah. that's like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not useful no, for me
1: no 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 but what i would what i do when i click is i always put a pause in so i will say win one two then deliver the reinforcement then so you're my, delivering the treat yeah, so i can say look mike i have that behavior the cue is you which means flick away get the reinforcement so i'll i'll have nothing i'll say you the dog will flick As the dog flicks, I'll bring my toy, or I will, uh, then I'll dance forward and go, there it was all the time. So the dog's done the behavior, or I might. Say you, the dog flicks, I run forward and then produce the toy. So the okay, dog okay. stay with me. So the runaway buys me time to go there. The yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I that can save the visual prop. Or the other thing to do if you have that issue is you'd hold the toy in the right hand as the the the, the, the trigger to cause the dog to think, oh, I know what he's going to do. But you'd actually deliberately click the dog and reward it for somewhere else. So you're fading the visual prop of that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. If yeah, you're
2: a it makes sense.
1: So point the right hand is oh i know what happens he's going to flick me out to the left i want to fade visual so i would deliberately say i'm going to hold this and you're not getting that one i'm going to throw the reward forward then when i see the dog do the behavior i can ask the dog to flick away drive and get the reinforcement or i would have another behavior that says just twist and return to heel so Mm -hmm. flick away get the reinforcement i could have twist come back into heel click reward from the front so i would want to have more uh, versatility what can often happen when you have a set um, routine or pattern, the pattern becomes both your strength and your weakness, because if you don't do the pattern, the dog goes, I can't do the behavior. So as yeah. a proof, it's a bit like I can have a put, treat in my hand and do healing. And I can say this, because if I want to work on a technical bit, I can click the dog and say, you're not getting that, you're getting this tug toy. And my dog Mm -hmm. will go, okay, that's fine. Then I can have an empty hand and I can say to the dog, snack, and I can put it back in my hand and feed the dog. Because Mm -hmm. the dog understands that it's not the presence of the reinforcement that dictates the reinforcement marker, it's the understanding of the RSM.
0: Makes total sense.
1: Um,
0: Do you think that having... So say a dog is equally as motivated for food and toys. Does it, do you think it matters to still have different, a different marker to, to let them know they're getting a toy versus food. So maybe for Vinny's example, like let's say the same exact behavior, he's going to say spin would mean food and then flick would mean uh, the toy. Do you think it would still matter for the dog, even though they seem to be equally as motivated for both?
1: Not if the dog's equally motivated. I don't think you'd have much gains, but definitely if the dog had a preference, I absolutely would. Especially with a dog like a Malinois, you know, because if you have said spin equates to toy, you spin a couple of times, you're going to get some really, really wild healing and you might want that or you might not or you might get some leaking, you might get some vocalizing and anticipation. Whereas if I said flick, and then I went, oh, I like food, uh, uh, um, but not as powerfully as the tug toy. It could even be like, for example, one of my dogs, I have a very specific reward marker, which is um, busy. So busy means she's a border collie, and she wants to stalk the toy. So when I flick it frantically on the ground, she goes into border collie mode. Well, that's her ultimate reinforcement, more than tugging, more than anything. And she's not a big... Uh, she's motion sensitive but not as much as she wants to herd things yeah so and she would like she loves to run after my other dogs but she doesn't want to she's not as manic on chasing toys per se so how i cultivated more intensity is i would do a behavior and then i'd say busy she would stalk the toy and then i'd let her grab it and she picks it up and then she just has it a little bit and then i repeat that cycle so that's a very specific marker which is even more um it's the specific movement of the toy that she likes so yeah. with a bar, you could have a, a with a tug that means you know tugging and me violently playing versus catch the toy and then we're going to go another cycle so that would alter the dog's arousal state so you could do you know strike which means grab it i'm going to thrash around tug with you or you could say catch which means get it i'm not going to touch it out let's go again so if you wanted to create more arousal you would say strike have a massive play out go again or you could say catch dog catch so the catch version is probably going to reduce the dog's arousal versus the strike marker cue is going to raise it so all those you know there's so much um versatility with reward specific markers you can as i said you can tailor them and cut them to suit um you know cut your cloth to suit you as fits really yeah yeah
0: it's uh, and i think you know it's i sometimes think about them and like i almost feel disappointed or pissed that like why didn't i learn them sooner but like hearing what Vinny was just asking, like, it makes me remember, oh, but, you know, at the end of the day, this, like, a lot of these things are going to maybe even be a little confusing to our clients for maybe just your family dog. So, 100%. like...
1: Oh Jesus Lord! I mean, like when when I did pet class and life school classes, I didn't even contemplate. I didn't even discuss. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I tried
2: to once. I tried to one time, and I looked at everyone in the room, and I was like, "Oh shit, I gotta like." (laughs) (laughs) No, but this is actually. You bring up a Anthony brings up a thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, because I've been playing around with it lately. I obviously love different markers, and the benefits of it, I think, are agreed upon. And you see everyone using them. So I've been like tweaking how I teach people so that they're using these marker, these specific markers without really realizing that they are. So yeah. like, and I wanted to see kind of like what you thought. So I almost teach a lot of my clients that they're, their dog's name is almost like what my reward to me marker is like my my like terminal marker like my yes marker so instead of telling them okay you're going to say good for stay and yes for when they're coming to you and stuff like i just do a lot of stuff where like the dog's name is essentially the yes marker yeah. and like the word stay is basically there i'm bringing you a treat marker and then you know i think there is a way that you can almost like i don't want to say trick it's not like we're tricking people but like you get them to kind of do it without them really thinking about it. Cause I'm not going to start talking to a client off of the street about like, like location (laughs) and reward specific (laughs) markers. They're going to be like, get the fuck out of my house. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know, but you can kind of, you can kind of teach. So I don't know if like you have like a marker system that you would use if like, I was like, Hey man, could you like, you know, teach my mom and dad how to train their dog tonight? Like, like more of like a, like a similar, like a, a simple version of your markers or like, yeah. What do you think is like the bare minimum that you would like to see someone have?
0: Yeah. I was just going to ask the same question before. Yeah.
1: You... So When I teach life skill classes or domestic people for, but- or I, dom- I
0: love that, by the way, domestic people. <laughs> I, we need to,
1: we need to bring that to well, America. That I want to just start calling people domestic, domestic
0: people. Client to
1: your I love this. I so love domestic this. dog trainers, we say. <laughs> I don't bombard them with the science. The reason I don't is that I think that you ostracize the audience, and I think you yeah, ostracize for sure. communication. And all it does is it allows you to flex on them and a bit of a you know ego. But you kind of go, yeah, not really yeah, awesome. yeah, like you know. I think- <laughs> go, you know, And the biggest thing that I want them to do in my mantra was I want them to fall in love with training their dog. So I wanted them to be successful at it. I wanted to teach really easy behaviours that they could get. And I would urge them to sort of acknowledge the dog's good behaviour within a spectrum of hopefully, I don't know, like three or four seconds. Let's let's try and start there. And as they got more efficient or proficient, I would then say, let's try and tighten that up. So as long as they gave generic good pra- good praise or generic praise, when the dog put its bum on the floor within three to five seconds, I was like, brilliant, fantastic. And then I would gradually, like you do with dog, shape their responses. So um, I had some go to things that I would do with life skill classes in that I always envisaged that they would fall madly in love with training their dogs and they would all want to be dog sports fanatics. So the reason I took that mentality is I then trained them to a, a standard where and I taught them skills that if they did decide to partake in dog sports, they had a great foundation. So we worked a lot on distraction stuff really early. We did all the stuff that I would do with my sports dog. We did with, but I, I did exactly what you did. I wrapped it up in a life skill entity. So, um you know, um one of the things that we used to do was what I call a waiting room sit. And I would sell it to my clients by saying, you know, if you're in the uh, a, a vet, Um, or with your dog and you want your dog to be not getting into altercations with the other person who's got a cat in a basket or the rabbit or the gerbil, um, you would put your dog in what I call a waiting room sit, where the dog would be sitting, positioned in between your legs, facing you. So we would go through the process of teaching that skill. Actually, what I was teaching them is the beginning of an obedience front or present. So they would, and that's Mm -hmm. how it started. Chair. And then, if they wanted to get into competitive obedience, I would then tidy it up, and then they could teach from that behavior. They could teach a retrieve, and they could are you with me. So um, I would teach them the basic things of teaching high level exercises and skills, um, but they would do it um, in a way that they wouldn't. So what I call like a Jedi mind trick way. So they weren't even aware <laughs> of specifics. Similarly, with marker words, I didn't bombard them with using a specific uh, like click word, etc. I would just urge them to mark and acknowledge or, or acknowledge the dog's correct response as soon as possible. And then we would play a game of uh, we'd have, this is where competition's good. We'd play like a time couple of timing games, um, you know, like bounce the ball, I'd say yes, as a dog hit the ball, hits the floor. Mm-hmm. That made them go, oh, this is the dog training thing that he's been barking on for the last X amount of weeks. So I was quite, <laughs> um, I suppose a little bit cunning and how I prove because my feeling about dog training is, is that sometimes we can be so passionate about it, we want to spew all of our knowledge and information, and mm-hmm. they go. I just want Fifi to stop jumping. The <laughs> like, like, you know, you're telling me about RSMs and LSMs, the operating condition. They're like, f that, mate. I just want the dog to come back. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I think sometimes our enthusiasm can overwhelm them and then what happens is they go oh no do you know what it's too hard the dog's fine i didn't like my kids anyway let them chew on its leg it's fine i'll manage so then they revert back to a management option which is not what i want for people really
2: yeah that's a great way to look at it yeah for sure
0: um so i want to uh with like the the rewards and stuff we started touching on toys a little bit I wanted to, I wanted to bring up play with you because you post a lot of videos of rewards using toys and you also post a lot of videos on just play sessions with your dogs. Um, and as I've done, like, as I've continued to like explore and learn and stuff, there's so many different just like with the markers, like location specific or reward specific markers, there's so many different ways of playing. Oh. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know that for a long time as a trainer, um, yeah. I didn't know how to play well. I, you know, always was just teaching like drop it's with play, which, yeah. Yeah. you know, I found out that that wasn't like always the best thing either. Um, So like, what are your go Like, what are your go tos for play? Do you have different styles of play depending on the the individual's uh, the individual dog's uh, personality? Yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah, definitely, yeah. So when I get a, a puppy, first thing I do is deduct or deduce how does that dog naturally want to play, uh, and really what I'm observing is the dog's. Uh, which part of the predatory sequence the dog is predisposed to. Is it a hunter? Is it a stalker? Is it a grabber? Does it want to shake and dissect and, you know, um, devour or kill or whatever you want to, or, you want to, um, or parade round? And I'm observing what the dog does naturally. And then what I do is I cultivate that dog's natural approach to playing. So, for example, my a uh, poodle puppy wants to shake and rag it like a terrier, right, that's her natural thing, she wants to take it to the ground and, and shake it like crap, and then until it's dead and then leave it, right, so she doesn't want to possess it, she doesn't want to hang on to it, she'll tug it brilliantly, she'll chase it, that's not a problem, she, but she doesn't want to possess it, so I'm trying to cultivate her hanging on to it now at the moment, because I know I need to create that in order for her then to bring do uh, an informal play tree. So I first assess what does the dog do naturally, Sometimes I have a, an inkling of what that might be based on the breed Um, that can sometimes give me a, a heads up. Um, And then once I've got the dog understanding what the dog is, I then use what the dog does naturally to, to m- manufacture a set of skills. The set of skills I teach are the dog to tug on anything that I provide for them. I want them to tug and, and I want them to do uh, the two words I use to describe tugging is. Um, committed and engaged. The dog must be able to tug with anything that I provide for it and the dog must be willingly to bring it back to me to further that action of tugging. Secondly, I want a reliable release of toy. So obviously there's no point having the dog tug if I can't get it off the dog in a fluid, clean manner. If I say release, out give, the dog should go bang and release it. Third skill I want is the dog to do an informal play retrieve. Meaning if I throw an object out, I expect my dogs to run out, grab it obviously on cue and bring it back to me and push me to interact. So they should shove it into my hand. That's a real important part of the process. And I do that and I want that because it says to me, my dog is actively seeking me out to initiate the game to happen or the game to continue, okay? Fourth skill is the dog must be able to drive towards a moving toy, yeah? And pursue it with with tenacity and interest. And the final thing I want the dog to do is to drive to a static toy when the, dog is, the toy is dead on the ground. And I work on, once I've got my dog's initial um, desire to play with the toy, I then cultivate those skills. And some things are easier than others. Like my puppy brilliantly, she'll chase the toy, no problem. She's getting better at value for dead toy. That's coming nicely. She won't bring it back. She'll tug some things, but she, you know, to be fair, she's pretty good on tugging. I haven't even attempted teacher release. So I then go through that process. Um, and then I won't start teaching a dog a behavior or skill until I have those uh, play um, play skills in place because it just makes my life harder. You know, um, it makes the process of teaching something really simple, really, really complex if my dog doesn't have, and you can fill in the blank of whatever that might be. Um, so the, the new thing I'm doing with my, and I always do this with every dog, I always um, change something in my training. So with my two young dogs, what I'm I'm gonna do is I'm not gonna teach any specific skills until I have all my reward-specific markers and located, trained and I have my all my skills, and then I'm gonna try and teach the dog a specific behavior. And I'm gonna see, I think it'll be a quicker process once I've got that. I think the hardest work will be teaching the RSMs and teaching the play skills.
0: Hmm. Yeah, because I, I find like with play, there's like I was saying, there's just so many different ways to go about it, even just simple handling techniques of it. Like you were pointing out, like if the dog is maybe more predatory or wanting to chase, like dragging the toy on the floor. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, um, I feel like, you know, it's not always maybe something as simple as that isn't, uh, I, I find something as simple as that isn't talked about. And I'm not talking about with clients. I mean, like among maybe trainers where some. I think
1: some- thing about certainly what, um if, if, to play and play play is definitely um uh somewhat of a um i would say a dying art but it's definitely an art form that's somewhat more um, skillful, and I think obviously with most again uh, pet dog training the, the, the focus is really or the, the, the bias is to use food because it's easy to deliver a treat to the dog and you know for for you know domestic clients um, it's really straightforward for them to go oh yeah that makes sense I give them a you know piece of hot dog or cheese but um, for for me I want to be able to play with my dogs and I like it I enjoy the process of physically interacting with them I like it from an energy point of view. I like it from a relationship point of view. And I like it because of the, the 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 manner in which I can use it. I can build confidence in a dog with play. I can desensitize them to things with play. I can create um um resistance, I can build up stress tolerance, I can create frustration, and teach them how to work through that all by the medium of play, which I I think is really, really um beneficial personally.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think. I agree with what you're saying with like the uh you know, just pet a family dog like pet trainer is you know, it's easier to teach a client with food, but at the same time, okay. I feel like there's you're in some ways, you're sometimes also doing them a disservice. Like I just, Absolutely. Said, I just had two clients recently where one of the things I do a lot is I I generally try to always, and whether it's a behavior case or just basic training. I always try when possible to touch on play. And I usually, before I touch on it, I'll ask to see how they play and interact with their dog before I start showing them, because I want to, I want to see what the dog is like with their owner, what the owner's like with the dog and then decide, okay, this is how I want you to approach it or engage the dog instead. Um, But I had two specific cases recently where the dogs were living in apartments and their only outlet was really going on a walk, but they're both, they both happen also be very reactive. Um, so it was kind of like it wasn't even really doing much for them in some way. And so once I showed them at a play, it was so funny because we needed to take a break because the dogs were tired after just 10 or 15 minute lesson, uh, at their house and night and day, from like when I first met them and then going to the second or third lesson, how the owners are just saying, wow, I mean, just being able to understand the mechanics and skills yeah. of working with the door. I mean, and it's just sometimes it, I know it's like sometimes it sounds silly what I'm saying, but yeah. uh, like just knowing to maybe, hey, just. Drag the toy on your side. Let it drag on the floor, as opposed to crossing in front of you, where now, like the dog is maybe going to slam into you or jump into you and grab you by mistake. Yeah. You know, like just knowing, like those little detailed things, can help make your your movement quicker, make the dog become. You know more what? S- uh,
1: the other thing you raise a really really interesting point is, um, I don't, I'm sure, I don't know whether you guys feel the same, but I, I deal with so many clients and so many dogs that if I'm really blunt, have really, really boring existences. They, they you know, they live very barren lives. You know, their routine looks something like the owners get up in the morning, they take them around the block, the dog spends all day power napping in the house. They come back, they go for another walk and then they get a food out of a dinner bowl and they repeat that cycle relentlessly for, you know, in a, a different, uh, indefinite period of time. And I just think dogs deserve so much more. You know, like obviously we're all dog addicts and we do so much with our dogs. But a lot of behavioural problems is due to the lack of um, stimulation. And and it needs to go beyond a snuffle mat and, you know, an enrichment tool, which I love. But that surely should be the beginning. It shouldn't be the full stop. You know, and I think sometimes people by not understanding that dogs were first and foremost, they weren't bred to be companions, they were bred to to be tools to assist us in our lives. Like, you look at the breeds of dogs and the the, the the purpose with which they were created was to feel, to be, basically become a tool, you know. Um, and as our relationship with dogs has evolved to from tool to companion, we haven't then realised, oh, well, if I'm not going to give them the, the job to do, I need to some way, shape or form substitute that in a way that's healthy for the dog, that's great for our relationship and so forth. And I definitely think play is one of the major ways in which you can do that. Um, and I think so much... Uh, you know there's such a shift between um away from using play because often it's a real skilled process to play well uh you need good mechanics you need good timing etc and unless we start to to you know uh, explain it more people are almost adverse to using it really
0: yeah and when you say that do you mean like the dog trainer or do you mean the family or both
1: I think that if we talk collectively about you know the world the dog training world industry i think that a lot of the times if we look at those people or those of us that deal with behavior and domestic clients um there's a vein of thought that's you know uh, that isn't doesn't use play as a medium to resolve behavioral problems yes. we revert to food because it's easier for the client And yet the sports world has all this great training and all this great secret stuff that we do, which would probably deal with a massive amount of behavioral problems. And it's almost like, because there isn't enough dialogue between the two worlds, um, like sports people are doing stuff that could really benefit um, uh, behavioral cases. And actually there's loads of behavioral stuff that would massively help sports people, you know? So I, I think that to me, dog training is dog training. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, what the problem is my job and my goal is to find the solution that best works for the dog the owner and the family
0: yeah yeah i mean i know like with me once i started learning sports with my own dogs the amount of stuff i was able to take whether it was just handling skills play yeah. skills totally changed with with clients and working with clients so yeah, yeah. I, agree I just there. wish
1: people would do more with their dogs Genuinely, I wish people would, everybody that owned a dog would do more stuff proactively with them. Like from the second they get their Labrador, they're doing something to appease that dog's desires and needs. And, you know, same with like, you know, um, lots of dogs, even like toy breeds. Like they they might be little tiny, you know, um, dogs that you that can, you know, little handbag dogs. But underneath that, there's a dog that wants a job. They want stimulation, mentors, teach a trick, do scent work, do, you know, tracking, do parkour, anything. Just give the dog a purpose on a daily basis. I think those, the little
0: dogs that you're talking about, they're the, like, they're some of the most fun to play and, like, chase games with because they're just so, you have to be careful because they're so small and quick, you you know, they're going to trip you. But, like, I just find them to be some of the most, like, playful, scrappy uh, players. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because a lot of those dogs, a lot of those breeds, not only were they they did have a, a a vocation as um a companion, but they also they had a secondary use, which was often exterminators. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of those dogs were mouses. they were like a substitute cat effectively. So they would certainly like they'd be a water bottle, hot water bottle, but they'd also like take care of rodents in the house. So underneath that like cute fluffy exterior is a dog that wants to uh, do something. So and I think that's the thing that really sometimes frustrates me that people just don't do enough with their dogs.
2: Yeah, and I think there's, I mean, there's a clear parallel, at least at least what I see with people too. Like we're we're saying people don't meet their dogs' needs, but I think a lot of people aren't meeting their own needs. You know, we we live in a world now where a lot of people are indoors, they're on screens all day, they're you know, they're watching television, maybe consuming way too much media than they should be. They're not getting out, they're not walking, they're not exercising, and then they feel like shit, and then and then it's not they're not. Instead of getting to the underlying reason why they feel like shit, then maybe it it, it they turn to other things um, that are also not beneficial. So, uh, and, and then, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. so No, you. It's such a valid point, and I would say, um, obviously, you know, the probably the thing that springs to mind most is the pandemic was such an uh, uh, an eye opening experience for all of us because it really. Um, allowing us to feel what let's say dogs because that's the conversation dogs do on a a daily basis i.e they have a very limited amount of freedom they don't see much they don't meet people etc because of the you know lifestyle choices or people's understanding or lack of understanding of their needs and look at the impact it had on us the pandemic i don't know what it was like in the states but first bit was great all time off work sun's out great we're gonna work my time and have a barbecue as time ticked on it was like oh yeah, I'm over the barbecues now. I'd like to see my loved ones. Oh, that kind of sucks. I can't have seen the same four walls for six months or three months, whatever it was. Are you with me? So it started off great. And then we went, actually, this is going on a little bit long. I'm not sure. And then it created that underlying anxiety, which definitely affected um, mental health, I'd say, on a global scale. And I don't, it was a real, for me, it was a real enlightening moment of, of thinking, wow, this is what dogs part with all the time. They have socialized isolation. They live this very, uh isolated existence, even with living in, in you know, suburbia or in a, you know in the middle of the housing estate, but yet they, they only see those four walls and those same people and they go to the same park at the same time, eating in the same dog bowl in the same manner. And then we wonder why we have so many behavioral problems with dogs. Um, when you look at what the dog was actually originally derived for or bred for, um, and I suppose that's the the biggest thing that I wish people would understand to do more with their dogs and to look at the world from the dog's perspective.
2: Yeah. And you brought up a good point with like the snuffle mats and the puzzle toys and like because I, you know, I own them and I have them, but I, I'll admit I don't really use them at all. It's like very rarely if I ever do use them yeah. um, <laughs> because I feel like there's it's almost an equivalent of giving a little toddler like the iPad to get them to leave you alone you know or like if you wanted to go outside and ride your bike and i was like no play this puzzle instead yeah. and then the next day you're like i want to go you know learn how to use a go-kart and i was like here play the same puzzle instead and like i want to play baseball here play this puzzle instead and i just keep throwing that same thing in front of you you know well, it's, it's like it's, it's very weird equivalent.
1: yeah but it's more the equivalent of saying to your kid um, they came into you and saying, "I oh, dad, I want to play football." And you go, "Here's your iPad. Look at the iPad." Yeah, hand. go look
2: at it. Go look at the screen. Yeah, yeah but here's,
1: exactly. Play game your, your iPad. What would your kid rather do? Go out yeah. and have a kickabout with the ball, or play it on an iPad? A hundred. Like my daughter. Uh, like, don't get me wrong. I think there's a time and place for enrichment tools. There's a time and place for her iPad. Um, you know, often it'll be like if she's had a busy day, or if I'm honest, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. It. She might be in another room, like, darling, are you okay to do that? No problem. But then, there's definitely a time of going, okay, so, uh, you know, um, Neve, let's go and do crafts together. Let's go for take walk. Let's go and to the, the, get something to eat. It's that bit that really consolidates our relationship. She's not going to remember going on the iPad and watching some crap on the screen. She's going to remember us doing arts and crafts together or her doing nonsense with my hair or us playing game or rolling around the floor that's the thing that's going to consolidate our bond and hopefully help her in life to hopefully be a more well-adjusted human and I think that we need to really understand that when it comes to dogs you know as a bit like you I have all those enrichment tools I'll be honest I probably hardly ever use them because I if I'm honest I don't need to you know because my dog's go out every, most days, unless it's, like, uh, absolutely extreme. Um, And even then, I probably would walk them. Um, But it it is about understanding. We have such a disconnect from what um, dogs need and dogs are, and I would say the same from humans. It's like, you know, there's I would say there's a global um, issue and conversation that needs to be had about mental health. And if we actually strip back our lives and evaluate how we've we've um we shifted to being on like you said looking at screens not socially not physically interacting why how i have a conversation with you is all on on a messenger it's like what why don't you pick up the phone or go and physically see them there's a novel idea why don't you spend time with another human being in the same space and have that dialogue so yeah i think it's a very interesting time that we're in uh and you know hopefully by talking more about it and saying to people you need to do more with your dogs we will end up with society of dogs that are are more well adjusted to to living in the world that we ask them to yeah
0: that was a great point i agree
2: with that it's very well said
0: yeah that was great well thank you so much for coming on Um, let everyone know where they could find you your information what you're doing now etc so
1: um if you want to obviously contact me or follow me on social media my um my instagram is Kamal off dog training it's the same for tiktok and um uh facebook um and youtube as well so kamal fernandez dog training just check that out um obviously i put together lots of online free content that's um, surfing around the net and obviously i also do online courses for sports and behavior so you know if you're interested in any of it reach out to me um just want to extend my thanks to you guys for asking me to come on your podcast i'm really really uh it's been a fun conversation to be honest thank you it was yeah.
2: great thanks for coming on
1: so I'm my you. pleasure We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Canine
0: Classroom. If you liked the show, make sure to smack that like button, share the show with your friends, and give us a rating. Until next time, class dismissed.